Standby like use 2 through 33, sound 1A through 7 on deck. Standby Q actors. Electrics, kill the blue run lights, please. Like you 2 and sound 1A. Go. From Arizona Theater Company, this is Hang in Focus with your host, John Daniels. Um, as someone that grew up in Arizona, it's a great way for us to share the work that we do worldwide. And featuring co-host Janelle Bragg. That is our responsibility, is to reflect what is going on in the world. Streaming live from the State Theater of Arizona. Well, let's do it. Let's really use this moment to re-envision our Welcome to Hang in Focus, live with Sean Daniels. This is the new Arizona Theater Company. I'm just glad that you're here. Today's guest, from Netflix Animation, producer Palin Chow. When I was growing up, I never saw anyone that looked like me um, in movies or on television shows, and it had a strong impact. So it has been so meaningful to me to have had the opportunity to be a part of telling these unheard stories and creating characters, Asian characters, um, that are real and complex and uh, hopefully aspirational or, or inspiring. Um, characters that maybe a child could watch and think, hey, I wanna be just like them. I, I know that they do that for a living, but that is an amazing video. Uh, hello. I cry. I cry every time. Yeah. <laughs> How are you, Chanel? I am wonderful. I am excited. What a wonderful week it has been thus far. We just finished Romero Fest this week. And so we had our very last event, um, which was an all-Spanish translation of Elaine's most recent work, Hoverland. So we're so excited to furrow Shakespeare and Bruno Bashir for providing that to us. And that was the last part of our Romero Fest. So thank you to everyone that has watched uh, any of the offerings that we've had across the nation and worldwide and for uplifting Elaine. And we're just really grateful to be, you know, here and yeah, grateful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's been an amazing month to be able to uplift a Tucson artist nationwide and through Mexico for people to be able to get to know her work. So thank you to everybody who was a part of it. And thank you to our staff who really, you know, we have a much smaller staff than we had 15 months ago. And that didn't stop them at all from really making sure that we had a national impact in terms of the work that was happening and that everybody knew about it. So I'm grateful for all of them. Absolutely. And we have some exciting things coming up, don't we? We do. We do. So, in fact, <laughs> in fact, even today, we do our final recording with John Larroquette to get ready for the Heath coming up. So that's going to be Lauren Gunderson's autobiographical play with Banjo, the Heath, that she's playing herself. And John Larroquette is playing King Lear and her grandfather in it. And I have to say, it's um, it's beautiful listening to it. Danny Erdberg, who is our sound designer, has really done a gorgeous job putting it together. So that'll be up mid-April. People can see it on our website or on our Facebook page and be able to hear Lauren Gunderson, most produced playwright in the country, who is finally, you know, she spends all of her life talking about women that don't get the credit they deserve. And now she's focusing on a, one of my favorite women that doesn't get the credit she deserves, which is actually her in terms right. of her life, in terms of going forward and how she, you know, learns to love or accept herself and how she learns to love somebody who has different worldviews than her. 
right? Which is very much the question of 2020 and 2021. Can we ever like learn to love people that think differently than us? And how do we look for similarities and not differences? And so I'm, I'm really excited to share this. And also John Larroquette is just a personal hero in yeah. terms of what it is. For any of us that grew up in the 80s, like we learned comedy from Night Court. No. <laughs> literally watched it on repeat with my parents so i'm i'm totally geeked for that um and i also think it's such a treat to have the actual playwright that's doing the actual um performing in it that's so rare it's kind of like when you hear like president obama reading his own book like I, i'm just oh, really thrilled uh for that and i just can't wait to see it so so let's get to today's guest, which I am I'm so thrilled about. It's it's one of my great friends, but someone that I deeply admire. Um, so let's go ahead and bring her out to the show. This is Palin Chow, who we will walk through her credits, but she's a little bit of a superhero <laughs> in terms of everything that she does. No. <laughs> hello. Uh, hello. Thank you so much for coming on for us. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. So let's just, I just want to walk through your, your three fanciest uh, of titles <laughs> to get to where we are today so wow. people understand who you were. Um, so you were the chief creative officer at DreamWorks Shanghai. Um, yes, um, um, rebranded as Pearl Studio. That's right, but yeah, we became yes. Pearl Studio. Yes. Um, and then now you're just a producer at Netflix Animation, which I think also the more important that you get, the shorter your title gets. <laughs> <laughs> rights to be able to do it. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, you know, your what I'm so happy about your success is that I really feel like you're one of the people that deserves it because oh. you, and we'll get into this in a little bit. You were like a, your dramaturgical mind is like a steel trap, right? Like to hear you work on a show or to hear you give notes and you were crucial in terms of a show that we have coming up my 80 year old boyfriend in terms of making it happen in terms of figuring out how the show works. And it's like, Oh yeah, no, of course everybody snags her up to go work from place to place to be able to do it. Thank you Uh, so much. You're too kind. Oh no. But also on top of that, like you are so generous and kind, like you, like you're actually working for international like film companies and to chat with you is also like the most calming thing in the world. Like the rest of us are running small theaters and stressed out about it. And you're- oh gosh. Running a theater <laughs> is no joke. <laughs> so... No, no, no. Well, it's not normally and especially this year, but I just think yeah. your, your calm and your generosity and your ability to make room for others. And like, I can always get a hold of you, oh. um, which, I, which I just think is impressive in terms of just the way that you go through the world. So I'm oh, just grateful to have you in my life for that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I, I not worthy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and, and also you're Oscar nominated, which we'll get to in a moment, right? Which is fancy, which is fancy. <laughs> right. This is what I'm saying. This is all part. Of no, it's very, that's very surreal to me actually. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess that's what they tell me. <laughs> Um, so I'd love to get to all that in a minute, but I also just wanted to pick your brain about what's happening in the world right now in terms of what it is. And I think so many of the conversations that all of us are having, you know, on a weekly basis to be able to try to figure out, like, how do we use the platforms that we have to better the world that we're in? Um, so I so I knew that there was an uptick in terms of hate crimes towards Asian Americans. But in doing the the research for this, it's 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 insane in terms of what it is, right? Just overall in our country, 
150% increase from 2019 to 2020. And in New York City alone, an 833% increase in terms of hate crimes that are happening. Um, and they're mostly and they're mostly happening in New York City and LA, which I don't think of as places where that would happen, but perhaps that's what this moment is about, is learning that it can happen anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I live in New York City and I have to say, um, one of the reasons I live there is because I've always felt like it's one of the safest places you can live in this country um, as an Asian American. Um, and that also goes counter to kind of my instincts and, and, and belief that, you know, exposure and understanding is what builds those bridges. Um, and, you know, it's one thing if you come from a community where you've never met an Asian person um, versus, you know, um, a place like New York City, which is so populated, um, it's really confusing and, and puzzling to me. Um, you know, and also I think that um, as terrifying, if not perhaps even more so um, than the crimes themselves is also now there have been many incidents in New York City where when these crimes have taken place, these attacks have happened, um, bystanders did nothing. Um, and that's happened over and over again. And that for me is almost like a even more difficult pill to swallow. Um, so I just think it's a lot, it's a lot to, take in, it's a lot to unpack. Um, I think, you know, we're all just taking it one day at a time and trying to keep ourselves and our families safe. Uh, and I think the bystander thing is really where we can all focus our efforts on, right? Like, I, I don't think that through, through talk shows like this, we're ever gonna stop there from being racist people in the world. But the question is like, what does the average person do, right? When they encounter something like that happening that there that clearly is is not correct like how do you just make sure that we take care of the world that we live in right and you step in in those moments to be able to protect people that need protecting absolutely well that's important to me i mean in terms of eradicating systemic racism you're right this is this is a longer haul and a longer work that we have to do which takes little steps and planned movement and repetition to get people on board um but something i've done in my life is stop it immediately the second it happens whether it happens to amongst your family members or with your friends um people that mean to say harmless things um in the moment if you just find the courage to say that's inappropriate you know there's a loving way for you to still um guide and love choose a different approach. And so um, thank you for bringing that to all of our attention. It is a constant reminder that we do have the ability right now to stop this as it's happening in I a way that's guiding. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to say No, no, go ahead. Um, uh, no, I was going to say, Chanel, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, and I think that um, that's one of the challenging things about Asians in particular being targeted, because I think culturally, um, many of us grew up being told, you know, don't speak up, don't rock the boat, keep your head down. And I think that I, I know I grew up um, hearing um, inappropriate, rude, racist uh, comments all the time um, at me, around me, and I kept my head down and said nothing. 
Um, and I think that partly it's about safety, but also just this belief that you're instilled with from the time that you're very young to focus on the work, focus on showing people that you can do amazing things and then you'll get recognized. And don't worry about all that noise in the background. And so, you know, I, I think that obviously, really basically assimilation is the answer, right? Like blend in, do amazing work, then you'll get recognized and and treated equally and 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 treated well. And you know, I think for Asian Americans um, as a group now, there's this reckoning of like, you know what? That is not gonna work. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it will never work. And we have to speak out and we have to speak up. And, you know, I think that something that has been a, you know, awakening and, you know, a lot of people um, are rising to the occasion, but it is having to kind of overcome these internal biases, um, you know, that are a little bit a part of your DNA in a way in, in order to do that. You know, I remember I was in a theater in New York City and it was uh, current time and someone in the row behind me, a man with his son was on his phone and the lights came up, the show started, he's still talking on his phone, like having a full blown conversation. And I turned around, I said, sir, could you please hang up the phone? The show started. And he blah, blah, blah. And I said, sir, please. And he went, God damn mother of Chinese, but you know, and like, just lay into me. And now I'm fuming, right? Like I couldn't be more angry. I'm at the theater with my mother. And my mother turns to me and says, say nothing, be quiet. And I'm like, shaking because I'm so angry and I'm thinking, what, what can I do? This man is huge and he's right behind me. And should I get the usher? Should I like have him remove, you know, and, and the show is going. And, and so, um, you know, I, I just sat there and I stewed and, and I, and I said nothing. And my mom kept putting her hand on my leg and saying like, just let it go, let it go, let it go. And, um, it got to intermission and I turned around and he was gone for intermission and he never came back. So, because I was like fired up, I'm like, oh man, I am going to like, um, but it just goes to show like, you know, when I said, like, I let things go, a lot of that was in my childhood, but you know, this was maybe four or five years ago. And mm -hmm. I still like, I think when something like that happens, you're so shocked. You're, you're in such shock. Like, you you can't recover in time to like say like hey like you know or it's it's hard it's hard i think so it's something that you know i struggle with certainly um out there in the world so one thing that you've done and this is even before this moment right is to try to uplift these voices in the work that you do now correct me if i'm wrong but your movie abominable is the first animated movie in which ever all of the asian characters are voiced by Asian actors. That is correct. Wow. Right. And that and, and that's amazing, right? Because that movie came out in 20. Yeah. 20 right. 
Yeah. So it's like that. Also, it's also the first time a modern day Chinese family has been featured in a global animated film in 2019. The first time. First time. Yeah. And I also just want to thank you. So I got <laughs> this. Because <laughs> I because you invited me to the opening. Right. And they were handing out toys to children. I'm not a child. So I had to go on the non-child line. And then, you, <laughs> and, then you, and then you saw me and you were like, no, you have to take one to Vivian. Here, go get one. And so like you're you're in the middle of producing this like global opening. And then you're hustling down a toy for my child. It's very important opening. that Vivian had an Everest. I, that was very <laughs> important to me. <laughs> I know she loves it, but, but like, I think that's so indicative of you. It's like many of us on opening night of our global movie might have a few other things to be worried about. <laughs> Instead, you're like working the line and making sure that everybody with kids takes home things for them to be able to do it. Was it was it a challenge to get to to make those changes on that type of movie? I mean, if those if that's the first time ever that that's happened, were there roadblocks in your way, or or how did that all come about? It was a challenge. Uh, I have to say, one of the reasons I took the opportunity um, at DreamWorks in Shanghai um, and Pearl Studio was because that was a company whose entire existence was about telling these Asian stories, Chinese stories. I think for so much of my career, I had worked at places where I was pitching these stories and there wasn't a lot of interest in the stories, mm -hmm. you know, or certainly I'd heard many times, oh, that's a great story, but you know, what if the characters were white? Okay. Um, you know, and I, I have to say, like, I just, I got kind of tired of that conversation and that battle, you know, and I thought, oh my gosh, here's an opportunity. Like, I don't have to go there and have that battle. Like this company wants those stories and wants me to find them and wants me to tell them and connect with the talent that can realize them. Uh, and so that's why, you know, moved my entire family to Shanghai so that I could have that opportunity. Abominable was a co-production with DreamWorks Animation. Um, so there were, there were a lot of voices in the room, a lot of decision makers involved in that film. And, you know, I am really proud to say that all the voices of Asian characters are voiced by Asian actors, as you um, so um, pointed out in such a lovely fashion. That was definitely not a foregone conclusion. There were many conversations had along the way um, about changing who voiced the characters about changing ethnicity of the characters. So even that was a battle. And, uh, you know, I think it just, you know, hopefully continues to get better and better. I will say with Over the Moon for the first time ever, you know, it is an all Asian cast period. Um, whether the characters are Asian or not, if they're a glowing um, Lunarian on the moon that looks like a gummy uh, <laughs> creature, um, <laughs> they are voiced by Asian voice actor. And um, that's really been amazing. And I have to say um, the support of Netflix um, on that front has been amazing um, because they didn't fight it at all. Um, we said we wanted to do that. They were like, yes, do that. That sounds amazing. And um, we were given free reign 
to do that. And I have to say, because of, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I kept waiting for that phone call to, you know, say like, you know, actually we were talking and we were thinking maybe, you know, you guys know that call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and the call never came. It never came when we finished the movie exactly the way we wanted it to be. And, um, you know, it, it's really gives me hope that things are changing. And, you know, especially with, I think, streamer platforms like Netflix, where, uh, you know, the pressure of an astounding opening weekend is not the same um, right. as it is when you're, you know, looking so intensely at box office numbers like that. There can be a lot more flexibility and, you know, uh, openness, um, you know, to different voices and, and, you know, different opportunities. So what, so you, you're dedicated to this work, you move your family to Shanghai, right? You move your family back. What's it like the morning when you get the Oscar nomination for, <laughs> for what you've done to be able to do, which is not, not the end all be all, but it's pretty nice, right? We're all going to call you. Oscar nominated, nominated. Now for the like I mean, rest of your life. I do require that now. I, I know. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Uh, you know, a lot of crying, um, a lot of screaming. I was still in bed. Uh, they announced pretty early. And, you know, I, I think that, uh, of course, thrilled for myself. And, and, you know, the recognition is truly, truly meaningful, um, but also just thrilled that it shines that light on this movie mm -hmm. um, and that hopefully many, many more people may find it or see it um, because of the recognition. Because I think that, you know, when we talk about what is it we can do to kind of really help what's happening currently in our world, you know, uh, my belief is, you know, there's almost nothing more important than storytelling and, you know, what stories are told and how they are told, we all know is everything. So I feel like in Over the Moon, there is this character who Feifei is, you know, a real full character who is smart and um, determined, but also like can be bratty and, you know, kind of difficult and uh, stubborn. And she's, you know, many, many different things and, um, you know, suffering and grieving and going on this amazing journey. Um, and I feel like she, you can't help but love her, right? She's so winning. And I don't know how you can watch Over the Moon and love Fei Fei and then think I'm going to go out and hurt Asian people. Right. You know, right. I, I just think it then hopefully becomes a disconnect. So I just, uh, I'm thrilled about the honor, like I said, and I just hope just many, many, many more people um, watch the movie. And there's something to what you just said, though, that I just want to expound on for a moment. It is a representation when we see our stories told that does give people a chance to get to know us better, to get to know us culturally. And it is a lot harder to cause harm if you feel like you understand. 
I think ignorance in, is, in, is why people are afraid and then treat you as a result of that. And so by allowing more stories to be told that show, you know, a plethora of different people, then, then that, that fear is taken away because you have an example of what we're about being communicated through this artistic medium. And so I'm just grateful to the, the work that you've done. I'm grateful. I can't wait to show my nieces and nephews a bottom bowl. They probably watched it already, I'm sure. But I'm just like, how exciting is it for me also to teach them, hey, look what auntie also does. This is what, you know, this beautiful show is storing. All of those actors are like your auntie, only they represent that culture. I mean, that's a great thing to teach your kids now. Because then when they grow up, they won't have, hopefully the issues that we've been having to have for the first time in all Asian acting cast in 2019. Yeah. I mean, so, that's what I'm most grateful for in terms of my kids, you know, they grew up um, not only with these films, but watching them get made um, for them films with like Asian cast. Like that's like, I mean, you know, don't all movies have that, you know, like it's very much a part of their, world in in a very casual normal way and i do have to say that our uh, one of our producers um will rogers who is our uh, he's behind the scenes right now and he does everything for digital assets for our company um but he sent me a link it was like you need to watch this right now and it was for ultra luminary and i was like okay and i love philippa sue so i was like okay sure and i was like my mind was blown <laughs> i was like this is amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, this is pretty amazing. So Yes. <laughs> As well. Yes. So do your do your speaking of like your kids, do they know how fancy you are? I mean, <laughs> what's it like when your when your mom gets an Oscar nomination in the morning? Um, well, it doesn't uh negate you from being the most embarrassing presence in their life. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my boys are 11 and 13 right now. Um, so uh, definitely, you know, at that age where everything their mom does is embarrassing. Yeah, of um, course. But, uh, you know, they're they're great. I mean, in, in a joking, loving way. But, you know, I think that it's really cool to me that they can see me doing something that I love, something that they know that I think is important. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that um, they really um, love the process um, of storytelling and, and filmmaking. And it's funny because you don't realize what really rubs off from your children being in the environs, you know, until like, you know, we'll, we'll watch a movie and then after Bailey, who's 11, will say, well, I mean, I, I think that character arc was really not well executed. You know, they're taking it in. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that they think it's a cool job for sure. But they also, you know, I think to them, like I said, it's it's kind of like a casual, normal thing, which which I think is great. You know, like this is what my mom does. Um, right. you know, yeah. So then what, what is next for you? I mean, you've had this, your, your own character arc is pretty well executed, right? In terms <laughs> of moving from place to place and now having an Oscar nominated animated feature, like what do you hope happens next? 
Um, well, so I'm producing another animated feature for Netflix. Um, we're currently in production. It uh, hopefully is going to be announced actually very soon, um, but not yet. So I can't really talk about sure. it. But uh, there are a lot of Asian people in it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that, like I said, storytelling, you know, the impact of it, like, that's why I do what I do. I really really, truly believe in it. I actually just sidebar story got my first job in the industry. Um, I was an intern on the television series Life Goes On, um, which is, <laughs> do you guys even know the show? It's yeah. so long yeah. And, um, you know, it was the first time that a character with Down syndrome was featured on television mm -hmm. and a first time an HIV positive character was featured on television. You know, as the intern, it was my job to sort and read through all the fan mail and get it to appropriate people or responses or people wanted, you know, autographs or what have you. And in all the fan mail I was reading were just hundreds of people gushing with such emotion about how this show was changing their lives you know, how they had children with Down syndrome, how their brother was HIV positive and feeling seen and, and, you know, just how much it was uplifting them and comforting them. And like, I was hooked from that moment into the importance of storytelling and how meaningful it was and how impactful it was. So that's kind of, that's been my story arc <laughs> that's carried me through in terms of all the, all the projects that I you know, choose to pursue and, and opportunities. Um, that's, that's what it's all about for me. So, and in addition to that, you're a theater producer also, and you have a, you know, you've worked in different theaters also. I have. Yes. Not a lot of that recently, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, my first job in New York was at the roundabout theater and I was an artistic associate there and in true theater fashion also company managed all the shows. <laughs> That's so, right. <laughs> so um you know theater is just you know I can't say enough uh it, it's a first love in a way I would say except I didn't do it first <laughs> but uh you know I think that it's a almost feels like a sad thing to say in the current moment but live together in a room there's nothing like it, as you all know, all too well. And hopefully we're well on our way back to, you know, a thriving um, theater all over this country. Yeah. So in that vein, you know, you're part of these larger conversations about like different industries. What's your hope for what we look like when we come back, just in terms of like when theater finally comes back? You know, I know that you're in production, but I'm sure it's right limited on set in terms of the testing that has to happen. Like, what's your just hope for what our fields look like when we return? Well, I have to say in animation, we're really fortunate because all of it is done in computers and uh, from people's homes. So um, for Over the Moon, we finished it in a pandemic. We delivered on time per the original schedule and under budget. It was astonishing. I I shocked. I was I was more shocked than anyone. <laughs> like, oh my gosh! And our current film 
as well. I mean, it's been harder because you can't all sit in a room together and everything is on Zoom, of course. But, uh, you know, we've been able to to continue to tell stories. But I, I think that, you know, when we come back, I feel like, you know, if there's a silver lining to um, all of this madness, I think that in a way, you know, we've had to open our minds about like, how this kind of work can be created. And, you know, whereas before, like when I was staffing up originally for the um, film that I'm producing now, you know, the hub um, is in Portland, Oregon. And so when we were looking at artistic leadership and, you know, staffing for the film, you know, we were looking in Portland and we we're like, what's the best, greatest town in Portland we can get? And, you know, as um, the past year and counting have unfolded, um, we've brought people on that um, have been all over the world. Because, you know, if you're in Oregon or you're in Thailand right now, you're a box on Zoom. And so it really doesn't matter where you are. And I think that, you know, the amazing thing about that is more diverse voices. And that's just kind of happened by necessity, but I hope that when the world kind of gets back to full functioning, that we can retain that openness um, and that ability to do that um, because we can see it works. Like we can, we can all see like we're, we're making films this way. Um, it can be done. And, you know, other than that, just obviously, hopefully, as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible. So we can just all be together live, not just live on zoom, but live, live. Right. <laughs> be amazing. Um, so what? you know, I'm just, well, what are you excited about for theater though? I mean, cause you're a theater, you know, lover and you're a theater producer. Do you have thoughts about just our industry also in terms of like what you see coming back? You know, I think that, there have been the resistance I talked about in film to different types of stories, I think is less so in theater, um, in my experience, but definitely still uh, very present. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like never has there been, I think, more clear a need and outcry for those kinds of stories. And I know that uh, one of the reasons I love you, Sean, is because you're always looking actively for those kinds of stories. The whole country's not like you guys. So, you know, I just, I, I really hope that um, the learnings of this time, you know, will inspire people to come back and program the most diverse season your theater has ever had in the history of your theater. Why not? Right? <laughs> well, you know what's amazing about that, right, is that when we were in Lowell, which is a third Cambodian, right, we would do a show with a Cambodian actor and it would be the best selling show in the theater's history. And what then, a surprise. And then <laughs> right? at, here, at, here at Arizona Theater Company, they did American Mariachi which has a full Latinx cast and it became the best selling play in the theater's right. history. So in some sense, there's like, you could also be doing the right thing, but it's also just the smart thing, right? Yeah, in yeah. terms of, 
looking at, you know, who's in your community that could be buying tickets, even if you were going to think that small about it, it's just the financially smartest thing to make sure that the majority of people are interested in the work that you do. Absolutely. And expanding your audience, obviously, you know, I think, I think people are still scared in, in, in some level because they feel like, Oh, look at the subscribers we have, like, how are they going to respond, you know, to a Cambodian play like that? That's going to seem so foreign and they're not going to be able, maybe we'll lose them or, you know, they'll, they'll feel um, uncomfortable with it. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's about kind of, like I said, opening minds and hearts and, and, you know, kind of really having a understanding that's bigger than that. It's about normalizing it. And and quite frankly, I feel like with the conversations we're having now, my goal is 10 years from now, then we won't have a need to keep having these conversations. And I know oh, that that's probably, you know, very advantageous of me to even think that's possible. But I think that there I think that it is. Yeah. By you producing the work that you're producing, getting that that um awareness and representation out. And that form, that's influencing that part of the audiences. For Sean and I, working on our programming to help tell the stories of our community, that's also helping inform that as well. I think if we all keep teaming at it from all sides, then hopefully we won't have to have this conversation in the future. Um, I did have a question I wanted to ask you. Um, What are your top five animated movies that you think that we should watch? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) He's gonna name hers. I mean, right. I was like, oh, that's right. that I made. <laughs> um, top five animated movies. Five. That's a lot. Uh, well, I'm a huge Miyazaki fan. Me too. How's so Movie Castle? Anything by Miyazaki um, could easily take up the entire top five. Amazing, amazing storyteller. Um, I have to give a shout out to Little Mermaid because um, it actually is the film that made me fall in love with animation and and want to work in animation. I saw it in a theater in Westwood, I remember um, in college. And uh, when Ariel reached out at you in the screen singing Party World, I was like, is this happening right now? It really, really just the the music, the moment, the animation of it, and of course the the animator um, that created and animated Ariel is Glenn Keane, who's the director of Over the Moon. So it was oh, such a full circle moment for me. It was amazing, and you know the thing about Ariel is that obviously she's not Asian, but I was talking about this with an Asian girlfriend, and. Um, she said, you know, I asked her like, when's the first time you felt yourself, saw yourself represented on screen? And she said, well, you know, there was no Asian characters for so long, but it really related to Ariel. And I was like, me too, it's so interesting. And we were talking about how like, Ariel wants to be part of a world that she feels like she cannot be a part of. Right. Um, and that she doesn't belong in and she's not accepted in. And, and so I, I think that, it's just really powerful. So that that film was really, really powerful to me. Um, what else? What else? Uh, I love Inside Out. Um, yes. You know, that's pretty great for so many reasons. That's such a um, smart one too, right? Like that's yeah. such a like, cerebral 
cartoon. Yeah, and and I think like equally enjoyable for adults and children, yeah. which is pretty pretty hard to pull off. Um, We've so... actually had that on, and then like Vivian will get up and leave the room, and then we find that we are still watching it for like five <laughs> or ten minutes after, and then we're like, "Why are we watching?" Because you're right, it is enjoyable, you know. Yeah, but... For sure, for sure. Um, and I'm actually, you know, I'm. Uh, I I don't want to get in trouble and name them, but some of the other films, animated films nominated this year are are really wonderful, wonderful films. So just to give a shout out to those as well. So for each guest that we have on the show, we ask them to give us a word that they're thinking about just right now. And that becomes the title of the episode for us to be able to put out. So just right now in the world or the work that you're doing, is there a, a word that resonates with you? Holy cow, that's a huge question. <laughs> it can be holy cow if you feel like that. If, that. if that's what the moment feels like right now to you. That's two words. Um, how about bold? Mm. Yeah, I think that's great. I don't think we've had bold yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. And why, why do you think of bold? Because I think it is time to be bold. I think it is time to speak up and speak out and stand up and be there, even if it's uncomfortable um, or a bit scary, um, or you maybe don't know what to say, or you don't know exactly how to be there. Do the work, find a way, be bold. I love that. That's beautiful. <laughs> See, this is why I love you because you you have like the most packed day in the world. And yet for like <laughs> one hour, you're just like charmingly hanging out with us, being inspirational. <laughs> then you're going to go, you know, change the world somewhere else, you know, for the next hour and then change the world for the hour afterwards. And... <laughs> one hour at a time, right? That's all, Absolutely. That's all we can do. Yeah. I know, I know, but you're doing it. Well, Palin, <laughs> thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing it this with us. And, you know, I'm just grateful for the work that you're doing and that you're oh. pushing ahead and that you're having such success, right? That means it really feels like the right people are having success in this moment. And you're definitely one of those people. So I'm just, I'm grateful that the world is rewarding you for all oh. the work you've done. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much, you guys, for all the amazing work you're doing at Arizona Theater Company. Um, I am an avid follower on social media, so I'm really, really aware <laughs> of all the amazing things you guys are up to. Um, and it's really, really inspiring. Oh, thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure meeting you. And thank you. And come back anytime. We would love oh to take you. Love to. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Bye. Bye. Um, all right, Chanel. Should we toss it to our call board for our... Yep. Yes, absolutely. So stay tuned as Will Rogers, our community engagement manager, brings you all our call board <laughs> for the week. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody. This is your call board for April 2nd through the 8th, 2021. Hi, I'm Will Rogers, Community Engagement Manager for Arizona Theater Company. Thank you so much for joining us for today's call board. We hope you caught today's show where Sean and Chanel sat down with Paleen Chow, producer at Netflix Animation, 
And if you haven't already, head on over to Netflix where you can catch Over the Moon. It is amazing. And while you're there, you might as well catch Abominable at this very moment. You'll be glad you did for the whooping snakes alone. Check it out. You'll know what I'm talking about. Now let's find out what's happening on future episodes of Hang and Focus. Next week on April 9th, Lauren Gunderson and Danny Erdberg will be joining us to talk about our digital audio play, The Heath, coming up as our next digital offering and starring Tony and Emmy award-winning John Larroquette. Chris Will from Pima Community College will join us on April 16th. And on the 23rd, we'll have playwright and ATC artistic associate, Christopher Oscar Pena. Now let's find out what's happening at theaters around Arizona. In Tucson, our friends over at Scoundrel and Scamp never stop. They have From the Fishbowl coming at you. It's a new devised work they're doing in conjunction with the Arizona Theater Studies Department at the University of Arizona. And that plays through April 18th. It's a streaming event. You can find out more at their website. And although it isn't a production, Barbet Williams Performing Company, Inc. is presenting a community conversation called Rise Up performing arts and black culture community conversation that's tomorrow april 3rd from 4 to 5 30 and it's a streaming event so if you'd like to check that out get on it head over to barbe williams performing company inc's facebook page and you can register for the event where you'll get the link to attend now let's head on up to phoenix where we have ring of fire the music of johnny cash that is only playing through the fourth, so you have a couple more days to check it out and it's presented by phoenix theater company on their awesome outdoor stage so jump on it if you'd like to see that one as well. COVID protocols are observed and it's outside. And up at Arizona Broadway Theater, Shout the Mod musical created by Philip George and David Lowenstein is playing through April 18th. COVID protocols observed there as well. Check out their website for more information. That's all we have for you today. It's a short call board, but it has been a jam-packed week. So if you liked what you heard, you liked the conversation, please share it with a friend, subscribe to our channel, like us, ring the bell, do all the things you know you can do to support us and make sure that we can keep bringing these conversations to you. All right, have a great weekend, everybody. And... Whoop.